0: And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ, as we behold him in his glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. All right, well, welcome back to Redeemer students, junior high group. Uh, Last semester, I was gone, I was way at college. So if you guys could fill me in, what kinds of things did you learn about God? Like three, give me three. Anyone? Yeah. Sovereignty. 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 That's a big word. What does that mean? Well, not the faithful. Yeah, he's powerful, right? He's like a king. Like sovereign. Yeah, alright, back. One of you guys. The Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity to me, please? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But who are the persons in the Trinity? Who are the three persons in the Trinity? Anyone? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? All right, that's right. Okay. I'm going to ask the girls, and I'm gonna take the girls next, but uh, Silas, can you tell me one thing just so we get a guy in here? Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Whoa, what does that mean? All present. All present. All right, he's with us, right? Okay, so we learned who God is last semester. Now we're learning God's works. We learned from JT about what? Creation. What did God create the world out of? Nothing. That pretty powerful. Uh, and last week from Gabe, can someone tell me what we learned? I literally wasn't here, so I need you to tell me what we learned. Image bearers. Image bearers. I did listen to it on Spotify, but you should too if you missed sermons. We are image bearers of God. What does that mean? We're made in God's image, which is a pretty powerful thing. Do you remember what he talks about, What he created everything, he said it's good, and then he formed man. And he breathed into his nostrils, which was kind of a, it was kind of weird. But we're like, that's a really intimate connection, right? It is what it is. So today we're going to jump into another foundational truth. We're going to talk about something that I know is on every single one of you guys' mind all the time. <laughs> marriage. Yeah. Damn, girls. <laughs> marriage. We're going to talk about marriage. Have you guys ever seen a wedding? Anyone here seen a wedding or been to a wedding? Have any of you guys, all right, this will eliminate some. Have any of you guys ever been in a wedding, like flower girl, ring bearer? Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. All right, hands down. Bring it in, hands down. We're excited for these people who are getting married. They love each other. and They're making a covenant to each other. They're making a promise to each other and a promise before God that they're going to love each other. They're committing themselves to each other. So we're going to look tonight at the biblical foundation for marriage and what that looks like, okay? We're going to look at the flow of marriage through scripture as well. We're going to see first, and these are going to be kind of the three points that, we, that we're that hanging on to as we go along here. The first point is marriage created. We're going to see how marriage was created. Then we're going to look at marriage falling. What happens in the fall and how does that affect marriage? And then we're going to look at marriage redeemed. How does God in Christ redeem marriage? So first of all, let's read our passage. We're in Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, open up there. Genesis 2, verse 18. And just for some background, again, God's created everything. He's made man in his image. And he set the man in the garden. This is really cool. He set the man in the garden, and he's told him to work it and to keep it. So he's created man, he's given him purpose. He's given him a job. That's another thing the Christian worldview does for us that no one else, like none other the worldview can give us, is purpose as humans. So, hope you're at verse 18, because I'm going to read. Follow along. It says this. After he creates him, puts him in the garden, gives him some rules. He says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Notice he's created all creation. He says, this is good. This is good. And all of a sudden he says, I made the man, but it's not quite good yet. So I will make a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I learned about this duck this last weekend called a grebe. And it looks like a double duck. You should look it up sometimes. It's got this red evil eye. But so Adam names all the creatures. God brings them to him. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast in the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So what does God do? The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is the first of Shakespearean poetry here. It's a sonnet. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, first of all, marriage created. Marriage created we have in this text that God creates marriage. Marriage is a joyful gift of God to men and to women. And I'm gonna quick sidebar to the guys here. I get that eating pizza every night, having your rapports with the boys, and having your mom do your dishes and make your bed is fun. But there's gonna come a point in your life that you will want to grow up and you will want to have a wife, okay? So while this doesn't seem like you're gonna get married tomorrow or something, you will want to, many of you will want to be married someday. Many of you, God will give you that blessing. And so this is a good thing to pay attention to, to realize what marriage is. So, Proverbs 18.22 also says that it is a good desire to look for a godly spouse. Also, for the ladies, there's this theologian who says that God's greatest gift to man, next to Jesus, is a man's wife. So, it's pretty real stuff. Now, there's many things wrong with our world as we're looking at marriage. The world doesn't quite get what marriage is. And we're going to look at the effects of sin on marriage in a moment. But for now, realize this. I just want you to, we just want to look at how God created it before sin enters the picture, before anything goes wrong, just how does God create it? Because the fact that God created, created marriage also means that he gets to define what marriage is. The world doesn't get to define what marriage is. You don't get to define what marriage is. I don't get to define what marriage is. Joe Biden and TikTok influencers don't get to define what marriage is. God does. He created it. So, what is marriage from the text? First of all, this could be under point one. An important thing to note about marriage is marriage is a lifelong commitment. Marriage was created as a relationship of commitment and faithfulness. That's the way God intended it. And it echoes God's own faithfulness to his people. Marriage is absolutely nothing. This relationship between a man and a woman is nothing if it's not grounded in faithfulness and commitment. This is why when we are at a wedding, you'll hear... For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty, until death do us part. It is a lifelong commitment. From the moment you make the promise until the day you die, it's a lifelong commitment. Secondly, what else do we see from the text? And this is an important one. Marriage is for one man and one woman. So it's a lifelong commitment for one man and for one woman. Marriage, again, was created by God and it's defined by God. So God sets the limits, God sets the parameters on marriage. And we see here he creates a man, and then God doesn't go and create man's best friend, a dog, because he needed a helper. He doesn't go and create another man, he creates for him a woman. Because women complement men, and this is the way God has created marriage. He's decided in his goodness and his sovereignty that he wants one man and one woman to be together in marriage. And this is not, you'll hear people say, <clears throat> excuse me you hear people say, oh, God's a bigot because that's the only way he wants it. But it is in God's good and sovereign design for his creation. Because he created you, he knows what is best for you and what you need. And that's why he's made marriage for one man and for one woman. You see in verse 18, he says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. But this implies that God knows what is good for man. And so he creates a woman for him. So marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. For the purpose of what? Like, what's the point? First of all, is enjoying one another, enjoying one another's company. Marriage is not just like this drudgery, like, oh, got to get married now. It is a joy. And if you look at Adam's response here, look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Let's see if Adam enjoys this or not. Then the man said, shuffling his feet, okay, I guess I'll take her on my team. No, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. First love song. So he's enamored with her and she's enamored with him. They're in love. There's a component of delight that goes with marriage. That's a blessing from God. It's, that's part of the good gift that God has given to his creation is that there gets to be delight and joy in marriage. And then the second of the purposes is participating in God's mission. You don't see this super clearly in this text, but if you were to read it in chapter one, God commands Adam and Eve to do a couple things. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And he says to take dominion of the earth and to subdue it. And this mission of God is given to both man and woman so that they would work together. So that Adam would have a companion in his work. Have someone to work alongside him. And so they're they're garden guardians. The garden of Eve is like the kingdom of God. And they're guardians of the kingdom. They're, They're protecting it. And they're also working in it to cultivate it and to nurture it. And so the kingdom of God now is the church. And if you're in the church, then your duty now is to serve in the church, to protect those in the church and to to serve and cultivate what is the church. It's a new garden of Eden. And so everything looks good, right? Everything's wonderful. God's created this. There's no problems yet. And then sin hits. It always seems to ruin things. We have in the next chapter now marriage fallen. We have marriage created first. And secondly, marriage fallen. This is where it gets sad. Marriage is a relationship between two broken people. Marriage itself doesn't fall. But if you look at the difference in the story, Adam and Eve are happy in verse 2. And they're together. And they have an unbroken union. But then in verse 3, if you read through that chapter, they start pointing fingers at each other. and blaming each other. And there's animosity. And there's enmity between them. They're, They're at war with each other. So, We have to ask the question, if God's created marriage good, then why do we see things, real things, sad things in the world like uh, broken marriages and really high divorce rates? We see abusive husbands, unfaithful spouses, all of these things that are sad, sad things that are a result of the fall, a result of sin, getting into these relationships. So, so let's look at what sin does. It separates man from God, and it separates man from man as well. Sisters uh, in here, Eve saw the fruit, and she took it. She believed Satan's lies of discontentment. And we're all like, oh man, if I was Eve, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't take the fruit. That was a no-brainer. Now, looking back on it, but when you face discontentment in your life today, what's the response? When... Your friends are feeding you things. Your social media is feeding you things. It's like, you're not, you're not doing good enough. You're not, don't, don't just rest in, in God. Don't just rest in him. Keep striving. Keep looking for your own things. You got to have this pair of clothes, and then you'll be happier. You got to do this, vacation, and then you'll be happy. Discontentment breeds sin. And this happened to Eve. She saw the fruit. Satan lied to her, and she fell. So learn from that. Be careful of that. There's a line a couple chapters later in Genesis that says, beware because sin is crouching at your door. There's a couple of doors right over here. If there was a hungry lion behind these doors, and I said, don't open that door, there's a lion behind it. But you're like, no, I'm going to do it anyways. Could you open the door? No, there's a hungry lion behind it that wants to eat you. But really, that's that's an analogy. But sin. Is waiting around the corner and it wants to eat you and it wants to devour you. It wants to take you. Not just not just your body, but your soul as well. It wants to corrupt and to poison and captivate your soul. That's what Satan wants. That's what the devil wants. That's how he tricked Eve. And brothers, then we go and we're like, Yeah, dude, Eve was really dumb. She ate the fruit. And I don't know. We just couldn't do anything about it, right? Adam couldn't have done anything about it. You guys know where Adam was at when she ate the fruit? Does anyone know where she's at? Where he was at? Yeah, it's in Genesis 3, 6. It says Adam was with her. And so what he's doing is acting as a passive guy. He's not doing his job, which God had commanded him, which was to protect and to cultivate and to nurture. If he had been doing that, he would have been there with with Eve and taking care of her, but he wasn't. And so then, brothers, it's not just to blame Eve, but in chapter 3, we see Adam fall too. So, girls, do not be like our mother Eve. And guys, do not be like our father Adam, falling prey to sin and believing it's lies. The serpent had a lot of crafty lies, and the world will feed you crafty lies, and Satan will feed you crafty lies, and your flesh will feed you crafty lies. But Do not fall for those. And this is how, this is how the marriage relationship fell apart. It creates, because sin creates animosity and enmity. They make, it makes enemies of partners in marriage, a man and a woman, but it also does this in your friend groups. Guys, you can see this in your friends groups. Girls, you can see this in your friend groups. Sin creates friction and hostility between you. And this happened in Adam and Eve's marriage. And so every problem in marriage can be traced back to the sin of individuals. It's not that marriage itself is fallen. Marriage is a good thing, still a good gift of God. But it can be any problem and it can be traced back to the sin of individuals. The fractures can be traced back there. And so we're like, okay, I can stand here all day. I can stand here all day and I can warn you about the dangers of sin. But brothers and sisters, you both know, we both know, I know, and you know, that you've fallen to sin many times this week. I know I've fallen to sin many times this week already. And so we're like, okay, is there any hope for us then? What hope can I have of restoring relationships with God, of restoring relationships with my friends because we know that creates hostility, and of just restoring relationships in general, getting sin out of here? The main problem is our relationship with God. So then we come to three marriage redeemed. First is marriage created, second is marriage fallen, and third is marriage redeemed. How is this broken relationship going to be redeemed? Marriage is an image of Christ in the church. Does that make sense? God uses the same institution that highlighted Adam and Eve's sin in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And if you look in the book of Revelation, he uses that, that same relationship, marriage, to solve the whole problem of sin. Because marriage is an image of Christ and the church. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. He says, this is a deep and beautiful and great mystery. That Christ is like the bridegroom, which would be like Adam. And the church is like the bride, which would be like Eve. And we know also from the Apostle Paul that Jesus was a better Adam. He did what Adam could not do. So when Adam and Eve fell, Jesus does what they could not and did not do, which is withstanding temptation. Dying to himself. And so our hope, our hope, which is the gospel, is shown in the text, Genesis 2. And we're going to look at it. And then we're going to turn to Revelation. And then we're going to be done. But my hope for you is that you see the gospel in this. The gospel, do you guys know what that means? Can anyone tell me what the gospel means? Just the word gospel. Good news. Good news. The gospel means good news. That's that Jesus, the son of God, unites himself to sinful humanity. You hear that word, unite? And you hear the word union, which is used in marriage. Jesus unites himself to sinful humanity so that we receive his righteousness. Whatever is his, we receive. And whatever is ours, he receives. So he receives our sin, we receive our righteousness. Not to all of humanity, but to all those who have faith in him. To all those who are married to Christ. So let's look at our text. Look down. uh, Genesis 2, verses 21 through 22. Now help me to see this as we go along. The relationship of Adam to Eve. And help me to see how this is like the relationship to Christ in the church. Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So Adam is laid to sleep. A deep sleep, it says. And a part of him is used to make and create a bride for himself. God puts Adam to sleep, uses a piece of him, and creates a bride for him. And brings him, brings him the bride. Jesus, in the same way, is laid in the grave for three days. And his blood is used to wash a people for himself. Recreate a bride for himself. A prized possession is what his bride is called. And then verse 23 Adam's love song. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh in my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam is here singing. He's out of his heart. He's so in love with his bride that out of his heart just and through his mouth just burst this love song. And what he says is, we're one. We're united. We're one. She literally was made from me. And we are one and that's an unbreakable bond. And in the same way, then the people of God, Christ's church, his bride, what Jesus says of them is that they are in union with him, that they are one with him. And again, that's the heart of the gospel. Without our union with Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. We must be united to Christ in order to receive his righteousness and to receive sin. So we have to ask the question then, how can I be united with Christ? Have any of you thought of that so far? Some of you who feel guilt and shame for sin, how can you be united to Christ? Read verse 24. Be united to Christ. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh, united. They will be one. How does that happen? A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. This is language that's used Later in the New Testament, shall leave, shall turn your back on. It sounds like repentance. How are we to be united with Christ? First, repentance. Repentance looks like a turning from your sin, turning your back towards it. And secondly, hold fast, cling. It's like this this gripping to, like, this is my only hope. This is the only thing that I have. And it's just clinging to that. That's what trust in Jesus looks like. That's what faith in Jesus looks like. It's just a clinging to. Because you know you have nothing else except to be united to Christ. And that the only way to do so is repentance and faith. And then, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. At first, you read that and it sounds kind of like just okay. But you who are in Jesus by faith, you who are in Christ by faith, who have accepted him as your Savior. All of us will stand before God someday, and the eyes of God see all things. He knows every word you've spoken, every thought that you've thought, every deed you've done, and all people everywhere will stand before God and be accountable for every action and word and deed. And those who are united to Christ have been washed of their sin, and so they can stand before God exposed and unashamed, because they're in Christ, having been washed by his blood. But those who have not been washed by Christ's blood, who have not accepted Him by repentance and faith, will stand before God, and they will be accountable for everything that they've done, thought, and said. And even the disposition of their heart. And they will stand before God, exposed, naked as it were, and ashamed. So there's this push thing. Be united to Christ. Redeemer student, right now, it's the ninth. Be united to Christ. Be one with Christ. Again, how do we do that? Faith and repentance. Let me uh, turn your eyes and your hearts uh, to Revelation. It's the throne room of God on the last day, in eternity. Perhaps it's Revelation 19. The book of Revelation is full of these beautiful pictures. I'm just going to start reading. You keep turning next. We're going to go to Revelation 19 and Revelation 22. Revelation 19. Verses 6 through 8 says this Then I, the Apostle John, who's in heaven, seeing this vision, heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roaring of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? Why all of this, Hallelujah, rejoicing, exulting? The reason. for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Jesus' wedding party has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, look, this is your hope. And this is your joy, Revelation 19. If you have been united to Christ, you are a part of his body, a part of his bride. And this is where you're headed. If you have faith and repentance in Jesus. And it's one of eternal rejoicing. Heaven reverberates eternally with these sounds of praise. The exulting. Glory. Hallelujah. All of these things. And what is it that the church does? When Jesus has loved her, she then loves Jesus. And what does she do out of that love for Jesus? Clothes herself with white linen, bright and pure, which is good deeds. The good deeds of the saints. So you're not saved by good deeds, believer. But if you are a part of the church, if you are a part of Christ's bride. And you love him. What does a bride want to do for her husband, for her bridegroom on her wedding day? She wants to be as beautiful as possible. She wants to capture his heart. She wants him to delight in her. In the same way, we as the church, you who believe in Jesus, we as the church will be dressed up for Jesus on that day in good deeds, which is white linen, given to us by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And then Revelation 22. Go to Revelation 22. And we're going to close. Revelation 22 says this. And this is for all of you who could not say to me that you are a part of Jesus' bride. This is for all of you who will someday stand exposed and naked before God and ashamed. This is your hope right here. And this is the offer. It's a warning and it's a call to you. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, and the bride, which is... The church, say, Come! And let the one who hears say, Come! And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. What does this mean? The Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, will move in some of your hearts. You will feel what's called conviction, a weight, a guilt for your sin. God can move in your hearts by His Holy Spirit. And what He's saying in that is, Come! Come to Jesus, come to me. And then the church, the bride, what does she say? The same thing. Jesus' bride, the church, preaches the good word. That's why we come and listen to John's sermons on Sunday. That's why we study this text together. Because the bride, what her duty is while she's here on earth is to call all nations and to say, come. My husband is great. He is a lovely husband, come and take of this. And then those who have tasted the goodness of God in Christ Jesus, what do they say? These are your friends maybe who know Jesus already. They say come brother sister they say come and know Jesus taste of the goodness of God in him so who is to come who is it who's being called to come right now those who are looking for something to satisfy in life those who feel that conviction from knowing that they will stand before God someday and not knowing what their hope is if you don't know what your hope is on that last day and you know that you will stand exposed before God and that you will be ashamed without Christ. This text says to you, come. And a long time ago, uh, maybe not so long ago, but whenever a woman was married to a man, there was what was called a dowry. It's a price that's paid by the bride or usually her father to the man who she's married Okay. and that doesn't really happen anymore, unfortunately but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah so it's called a dowry it's a price that's to be paid if you were to be embraced by the arms of a husband your father would pay for you or you would pay a dowry a price what is the dowry price of coming to Christ nothing After the calls, it says, let the one who is thirsty come. That's you who feel that weight and that pull, knowing you will stand exposed before God and ashamed without Christ. And let the one who desires take the water of life without Christ. So if if the Holy Spirit has said to you, come, working in your heart, if the church now says to you, come, know this husband who is good, who is lovely, who is kind, gentle, strong. If you've heard this call, And if you feel that need for living water and for Christ, the call is come. Come to Jesus Christ. Again, how are we united with him? According to Genesis 2, by faith and by repentance. By turning back from your sin, turning your back on your sin, and clinging to, holding fast to Christ like it's your only hope because he is. And whoever of you repent and have faith in Christ, turn to him and are united to him. Whoever of you are wedded to Christ, and become a part of the bride of Christ. You will say with many of us in heaven someday, My beloved is mine, and I'm his. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for putting it in the scripture so that we can know the love of God and so that we can be compelled towards Christ. I pray that those who, who are already wedded to Christ by faith and repentance, that you would encourage them with this. Jesus is a strong and kind husband and does not let his bride go. He is a faithful husband and will never let his bride go. But to those who don't know you yet, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts tonight and that by your Holy Spirit's moving and the calling of your word, that you would bring them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ and that they would know the loving and grace of Jesus. In his name, amen. 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 You are dismissed your life, please,